Hello all, this is Blonde Haired Girl. I I follow my son's soccer career very closely. <laughs> I I really didn't know like as a parent that I was going to um that I was going to I guess I knew I was going to be really active in my children's lives. I there's nothing that I have actually done as a human being that I have taken so much care in as being a parent, frankly. Uh, and so I've attended many, you know, dance recitals, um, ceremonies, um, <laughs> graduations, concerts. I mean, it's, um, <laughs> I've been at this a while. Um, and that is no exception with my youngest child, who is a soccer player. Not only is he a soccer player, he is a club soccer, and he plays on two different teams. He plays a, a on a club soccer team and on a on a um on a high school team. Yesterday we had we had gone down we over the years we've driven a bit for his soccer, whether it be tournaments or games. And you know, things were really affected by this COVID thing. I had talked about in previous podcasts about this. It was, you know, really uh such a huge like dent. Uh, they had been practicing and they had been playing state league soccer for the past few years in anticipation for possibly winning the state cup and had built a team that had the potential to actually win this thing. And this year was their year. And the reason why I say that is because what ends up happening is the boys, they age out. Um, their age bracket ends up aging out and their team kind of falls apart. And my my son is one of the younger players on the team. And so what ended up happening was they had a number of their players graduate and move on to other things some of them more soccer, some of them not. But, um, and so yesterday we were just on the way back because honestly, our team has sort of lost their luster. <laughs> the last few da- games have been really hard to watch and yesterday's was no, was no um, exception. Uh, and so... We got to talking about coaching. We got to talking about coaching and and I have actually been not a not a sports coach, but I've been coaching people for many years for change in their life in different capacities. Um most of which have been I've been coaching families. Um for the betterment of their children. And and I'm doing the same right now.
I am coaching families currently uh, for change on behalf of their children. That's what I'm doing right now on my paying gig, <laughs> since my other gigs are not paying it. Um, and I really, really love it. I have to tell you, I, um, it takes me a while to kind of figure things out. And then, and then, and then you have to really, really tune in to the people and their style. Their style of like learning, I guess, or their style of like how you keep them. Because you have to be super careful with people or you will just lose them. You can't press them too hard and you have to, it's a little bit manipulative, frankly. Um, but I've, I've oftentimes compared my, my son's coaching, being coached with being a classical violinist. I, uh, I started the violin when I was four years old, uh, and this would have been in the seventies. This would have been in the early seventies. Um, I was introduced to the violin and I took from a violinist named Max Mandel. And he played the violin in the Phoenix Symphony. He and his wife, Lorraine Mandel. And if you said the name, if I, if I said the name Max Mandel around circles, they knew exactly who my, my violin teacher, my coach was. They knew who my coach was. <laughs> Mr. Mandel was incredibly special to me personally. Uh, you can imagine this person was in my life for many years. He was my violin teacher um, until I was about, I think I was about 19. So for 15 years, he taught me early in my, in my violin because I, I had played on and off for years. I mean, like I played in college at ASU, NAU. Um, and then I played after that, I played in, in, in ensembles over the years. And then I was also in a trio, uh, which was really so much fun. I, the weird thing is I actually played, uh, with, so I was the violinist and there was a, a violist and a cellist and the cellist was my grade school music teacher <laughs> isn't that weird um so um we ended up i ended up um uh playing in this trio and uh but i want to get back to um mr mantel so he and he was really into technique. Uh, and, and he was instrumental in starting what was called the Suzuki method in the Phoenix area during the early 70s. And Suzuki was brought over from obviously Japan. And it was this different way of teaching classical music by ear. So you didn't necessarily um, teach children to read music. 
So it was a classically trained by ear violinist. <laughs> and so I would I would listen to music and then I would play it, listen to music, play it. Okay, well I was I was basically what ended up happening for me personally is I became really illiterate with being able to read music. I wasn't able to read music for many, many, many years. I mean, I could a little bit. <clears throat> I knew what the notes were and, and rhythm has always been an issue. And and this is going to be um, a huge confession on, on my part. I still don't know my keys. And I had like different people try to explain this to me <laughs> through circles and all this stuff. And I just, I bet I could learn it now, but I had some kind of weird block to it. Um, my violin teacher had asked me also if I was dyslexic. Um, I've never been diagnosed dyslexic, but I think I might be. I, when I was, when I was young, I had huge speech issues huge um that went on for many years and i i believe now that i have definitely autistic and tendencies i'm not sure you know i know what the criteria for autism is and i'm not entirely sure that i shouldn't pursue a diagnosis just so that um <laughs> i in some ways that i might be protected you know, as having a different learning style because I, I've noticed over the years that it has been a an issue in my life that I think pretty differently than other people. <laughs> and I hear things very differently than other people. And so, and it's not a bad thing, it's just... Um, over the years and as I've gotten older it's been kind of an issue where um where I've noticed that I've gotten in some a little bit of trouble because I didn't hear something the way it was intended um but anyway so Mr. Mandel was like hugely into technique and also this and he and he actually tried when I was in medical school so you understand I before I went to kindergarten, I was playing the violin. So I go to kindergarten, and so then this would have been middle school. So I'm like, what, 11, 12 years old, and then all of a sudden, it's like imperative that I learn how to read music. Well, this is the honest truth. It was kind of too late. I'm not saying it was completely too late, but... What ends up happening is, is that, I mean, people who study the brain realize that there's like these connections in the brain that are made and my connections were made through listening. And so, and that's not to say that I couldn't learn how to read music. And when I got a little bit older and I was playing in, in my trio, my, my, uh, it was really challenging for me because my the two people I was playing with were like professional musicians and I was the weak link so I remember practicing one time because they gave me all brand new music we were going to be doing this opening of a hospital 
So we were playing for this opening of a hospital and they gave all this brand new music and I was completely stressed out. But I practiced. I practiced and practiced and practiced. And I went out and I and I when I knew the music and it went really well. And then this is the honest to God truth. The next morning I woke up with shingles in my face. I woke up with shingles going all the way down the left side of my face because I had been so stressed out about that learning that music. There was a a lot of trauma, early childhood trauma that came from competitive music um, programs for me personally. And a lot of shame that came, I mean, it was, it was a really, really challenging, uh, to not be a competitive person and be in a competitive environment. And so I didn't really, I mean, I did because I, there was a point where I absolutely fell in love with classical music. I had I had grown up with with musical parents. My mom had a degree in music and my dad played the piano and sang in the choir. And I grew up with opera. My dad used to watch television but listen to opera. Opera was playing in our house all the time, or like Gregorian chant, because my parents were very, very Catholic, and so I grew up with like Handel's Messiah every year. And they sang in the orchestra, in the in the choir at church. I remember my dad, um, I would be sitting out in the audience, and my dad would periodically wink at me. <laughs> My dad was the sweetest man you could ever meet. Oh my God, he was such a saint and a really, really kind person. But anyway, um, so getting back to my subject. So, Mr. Mandel um, was, was amazing in technique like he I remember him oftentimes like correcting my the placement of my hand on my my violin and my bow um there's so much that that I learned that I don't remember when I learned it I don't remember how I learned it because I was so young when I was learning it that I had music teachers since then ask me you know you know basically and asked to actually take pictures of my my the placement of my hand on the violin because of Mr. Mandel. Uh and then he got he got cancer. I think I can't remember what age it was when he got cancer, but he ended up um he ended up uh um having to have somebody else be my teacher for periods of time and and it was a really good thing for me because I, admittedly, I was not a very good, like, I didn't practice. I'm just going to say that. I didn't. I mean, every once in a while I would. Like, I remember this one time I I really, I was playing in the youth orchestra and I really, really wanted to go for a high seat in the orchestra because I had been stuck. 
very low in orchestras. I mean, if you can imagine being illiterate, which would be totally exposed when I would when I would audition. And they would ask me to read music, and I didn't know how to read music very well. So you put like a piece of music in front of me, and I basically screwed. <laughs> so so, <laughs> um, so you can imagine like like the people who were auditioning me—they didn't know what the hell to do with me because I could play the violin pretty well, but. I couldn't read music, so oh God, what do we do with her? So oftentimes I was I was really stuck in the back, but I practiced and practiced and practiced for this one, and I'll never forget the uh, the guy. Like actually, he had he had actually um, taped my interview. I remember him asking me if he could, and I was like, I'm, my not interview, but my um, audition. So he tapes my audition, and then I end up getting fourth fourth violin first first violin's fourth chair and I remember practicing and practicing and practicing that year so that I would have been a senior in high school at this point and he and they I ended up getting this scholarship to go to NAU so I go to NAU and I stay in the in the dorms and I go to music camp for two weeks I remember all of it. <laughs> oh my gosh. I remember loving, falling absolutely in love with Flagstaff. And and my I remember my roommate, Sally. I don't remember her last name, but she was a Mormon. <laughs> she was such a sweet girl. Oh gosh. Anyway. Um, and then Mr. Mandel was gone. He he passed away and like nobody got with me. It was really strange. Um he passed away, you know, like if you could imagine your like music teacher, your coach, you don't even know they've passed and then all of a sudden they I think I was like a I think I was actually I had graduated from high school, but I was I was at the 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 uh the um um community college at this point playing in the orchestra there it was quite traumatic for me to lose him but i i wanted to share that he he wasn't very good at giving positive reinforcement for me personally and maybe i just was a really sucky violinist <laughs> maybe i was just really bad you know i mean and there was so much trauma with me around this this all of this anyway um of somehow my self-worth being caught up in how well I played the violin um but I don't remember him in all the years ever telling me I played something well and then I had this other violin this other violin teacher for a period of time when he had cancer and this guy would had given me some music and I practiced so, so I, I'll never forget, I, I used to have my violin lessons at his home, so I'm standing there and he has me play something. And here was another thing that ended up happening for me. I had horrible stage fright, 
horrible stage fright. You have to understand, like, trembling, uh, I mean, horrible stage fright. But Mr. Mandeli said, you know, play this for me. So I played it for him. And when I got done, I will never forget what he said. And I quote, you have no idea how gratifying it is for me to hear you play like that. End of quote. And I can say without a doubt that it was one of the most gratifying moments for myself to have my dad, my violin teacher tell me I played something well because he never did. He never said that. And so, and so he was gone and I had other violin teachers, but nobody like Mr. Mandel, whom I will admit my parents may not have known, but every once in a while we would play hooky from, from, uh, from playing the violin and talk about actually of all things religion. He was Jewish and he would talk about, I would talk about Jesus and dying on the cross and stuff and he, a lot of people died on the cross, he said. <laughs> but anyway, I didn't necessarily even want to talk, you know, I wanted to go into that a little bit, just how, how this person shapes you. They, you know, like you think about like a, a soccer coach and they, how they shape their, their athletes, how they teach them how to kick a ball. They teach them technique. And I'm going to tell you that it is very, very challenging to, to change a person's technique. It takes a long time to, to teach a different way of doing something because our brain gets wired to do it a certain way. And so then fast forward to like the most important part of my life, you know, while I enjoyed other things, nothing was more important to me than, I guess I want to say philosophy in a sense. Because I was a study, I was studying the nature of reality. I didn't know that that's what I was studying, but that's what I was studying. The nature of reality and theology. Trying to answer the questions of what are we doing here? Why are we here on this planet? I mean, it's kind of weird if you think about it. I mean, we're, we're on this great big seeming sphere in the sky, orbiting the sun. We have a moon that goes around our, our, our planet. I mean, it's actually weird to me that, you know, I was thinking about this yesterday evening. I was thinking about how the honest truth is, is that most people don't care. They don't care about the things that I care about. They, they really, they don't care. They, they, it is of no consequence to them what we are doing here. They care about other things. 
And I guess that's okay. I guess that's okay. We don't all have to um, share the same, you know, the same interest. Of course we don't. But I, I have been very curious about this. And, and, and the other thing for me personally is just that I am really kind of alone with my thoughts, which, you know, which is what you all come in, people who have been really faithful to my content, which isn't at this point very many people. But this is what I actually live for. I thrive on this stuff. I absolutely just love it. Like, you know, I had often wondered, you know, I remember like in a friend of mine, I'm like trying to talk to her, but I was reading this book, you know, and it did explain that when a tree falls in a forest, it does not make a sound unless there's a receptor to hear it. It was like this definitive proof that it does not make a sound unless there is a receptor to actually hear it. The, the waves will go out, but if there's no one to hear it, there is no sound. And she said to me, I don't really care. She said, I really don't care. You know, and I had this other best friend for years and she just didn't want, she didn't care either. She's just like, it's like, you know, Jamie, I, I really just don't care about that stuff. I'm like, really? You don't? Like, I just can't, I, it's so hard for me to understand that people don't. So... And I was, you know, my dad had passed away by this point. You know, he, when I, he died when I was 22. He passed out of his body. I don't believe in death as we talk about death. And so um, I use the word past or some people call it transitioned. But my dad left his body in physical form when I was 22 years old. And so most of my life, he hasn't been here for me to, like, talk about this stuff because when I was young there was this other aspect to me that I did not know was as as deeply ground as it was is the fact that I thought I was I'm going to use some words that some people call you know that they don't like but I thought I was stupid I did I thought I was not very smart I I really I don't know where I got this idea, but I know some of where my ideas came from or my thoughts, but I, I was growing up in a time where the term dumb blonde was really, I mean, it's bad now, but it was really bad when I was growing up. And so people oftentimes you know, just looked at me and I was passed over for jobs. I was passed over as not a very intelligent person. And I had really taken on that. It was sort of the opposite of these people you hear about that are told they're smart and then they get older and they find out they, they're just average intelligence, but they've had this like long, amazing career because they thought they were smart. We are what we think we are. And so I'm going along in this life, like constantly thinking about these really, really like intense um, subjects, you know, 
I go from one thing to the next where I like noodle on that for a while or I'll noodle on this for a while or I'll be thinking about these ideas which I'm like sharing with you guys which is this understanding at some point that we actually indeed do create our reality so when I get into my into my 30s I I kind of abandon at some point the Bible, which I don't really want to get into, but, and I'm, and I'm looking for other, other, I don't know, I guess theologians, I don't know, but, and then I come across the works of this guy who, I would say if I have a guru, he is my guru, and his name is David Hawkins. I wasn't really fond of his first book, per se. I really wasn't. I, I actually don't think I actually read um, uh, Power Versus Force. Maybe I should go back and read it, but I didn't. I It wasn't really the book that I, I um, was that interested in. And David Hawkins, to my knowledge, he lived in Sedona. And I, I by this point, I'm living in a town that's fairly close to Sedona. And so I had the opportunity to actually go to a couple of his seminars, but that that wasn't it. It was, I read this guy's works. I studied his works. I studied his works. I would, I would read and I would read it over and over and over again because he, I did not understand what he was talking about. It, and it wasn't even just that a lot of his of his terms i had no idea i had like never even heard of that term before and so i'm like and so i had to read with literally with a dictionary and so i'm reading and i'm learning and and it was just a little bit the end for me as far as when i came across his works everything else paled in comparison it was like it, it, I don't know why but he resonated with me and I didn't agree with everything he said he there were some things that he said that like really got my goat I have to admit I was like I like he he's sort of I'm just going to be honest here I got this impression from his works that he was a bit of a Republican. Um, and this would have been around the time that like George Bush was president and I actually changed political parties. I had been a Republican and I and I turn I was turned into a Democrat around this time. And David Hawkins <laughs> I felt like he he really had this slant. Like, he used to talk all the time about Walmart. He was always talking about Walmart. I'm like, oh my gosh, because... But you see, and then, I w- so I would ponder this, like, why? And he used to talk about, you know, just how friendly they were and, you know, that they would have these greeters and that basically back when Walmart started... um by the original guy um he treated his employees really well 
they treated the customer well and he treated his employees really well well what ended up happening was and and this is what ends up happening is is that he passed away and the and the Walmart was taken over by his children and every business is sort of going along a line of consciousness because businesses are actually going along a a line of consciousness and it sort of depends on who is on top so if you have you know and then the policies that get put in and see now we all know that walmart employees are not treated well they have really low pay and they don't they keep their them at benefits you know so they uh it, it's not really the greatest place to work now is is i guess what it was at one point and so the consciousness had gone down after the original owner had passed away and it became more about about greed uh i'm not really crazy about walmart frankly and you know i had talked about and i know this is a little bit of an aside but i just really thought it was fascinating i had read this article yesterday i just kind of skimmed it and it popped on my my screen where where this is like the second time that target has you know because i really like target better than i like walmart there's something about and I, and I don't know if this is true, but it kind of seems like maybe it's just the way the stores are actually the merchandise is presented. Um, in Target, I find it more aesthetically pleasing for myself, but Target had decided to do this um, gender-friendly bathrooms and then like people in the in the christian community did this uproar because they didn't want trans people in the same bathroom as their women and children and so when target came out with the the like like gender non-specific bathroom the they were boycotted by the christian community well, this happened again yesterday where where one of the employees was wearing a shirt that that was about this I can't breathe this um Lloyd like Black Lives Matter shirt and and some patron of Target had gone and said, you know, do you realize and they and she sent a picture or he, I don't know who it was, but they sent a picture to Walmart saying do you realize one of your employees is wearing this shirt and they said oh well we're 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 very very sorry that you feel bad about that and 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 then they they said something else about they didn't like the um the answer I guess they wanted this employee to be to be um chastise in some way for wearing this shirt and and <laughs> and instead and then they were like well 
well, I'm going to blow this up all over the internet. And, and, uh, so, so Target says, they say, oh, well, go ahead. Let's blow it up. (laughs) And I like that. I personally think that trans people should have a bathroom, have access to a bathroom. I really do. I think that there, that a lot of times we have no idea this person is, is, transgender a lot of transgender people we really don't know they're transgender and um they're very discreet and i just think that it it and and this was and so anyway i'm sorry i'm getting into this it's sort of an aside but it sort of goes to this this um oh and then oh walmart did this other thing that i thought was really got my goat gosh um, I had read this article like after um Trump had been elected, where they uh they took Cosmopolitan magazine out of their aisles. It wasn't that they stopped selling it altogether, but they put it in a different part of their store, and they said, "We don't want it here because we don't want to distract our customers." And it really made me upset. It made me terribly upset that they did that. I only shop at at Walmart if I absolutely have to. But but I ended up getting a, a subscription to um to Cosmopolitan magazine after that. I actually read it. I mean it's okay. It wouldn't be my first choice, but I wanted to support this magazine because I I thought, you know, like women's sexuality would be too distracting to to customers is ridiculous. Though I mean, you think about the trash that is in those aisles when you go through to to check out trash talk. Complete and utter trash. Like just complete fabrications about people as you walk through, you know, about the movie stars and famous people and their lives and the the um, royalty over in England. I mean, it is just, we just love gossip, don't we, as a species? think more so we just we just love it that we just all kind of wallow in misery or we like to know that other people screw up it's not just us right you know other people have it hard you know those beautiful movie stars see she's not so pretty without her makeup on right (laughs) we're a very very interesting species I think but uh, anyway, so obviously I'm not really a fan of Walmart. But these businesses and pretty much everything that we do has a consciousness about it. And, you know, and then like I, I had worked as a as a coach for a while. I told you all that I worked as a coach. And so and I, I had gone into childcare centers and what I found was is that the quality of the childcare center had everything to do with who was the director. 
who was the director and how they directed, how they managed their, how they directed their staff to their leadership style and if they were inspired their staff. And anyway, I have sort of digressed from from my original topic because what I wanted to talk about, and I probably am going to have to break this down into two different podcasts, so I will come back to this topic of why David Hawkins had such a huge impact on my life. He talked about the subject of enlightenment. And enlightenment became my goal. I was a seeker of enlightenment. I was a seeker of truth. The funny part about truth is, is that what I found was that truth is weird. The more I sought after this quote unquote truth, the weirder it all became. Like truth is a really, really weird thing. People like in the Bible, people who are into the Bible, like really get upset about this type of of talk because they believe that that, you know, that Jesus is the way, the truth and the life and that nobody gets to the father, but through him. The truth is, I'm not really sure that he said that. That's the truth. And that I don't believe, I actually at this point don't believe that that's true. I believe that there are multiple ways to God. It makes no sense to me that there would be any judgment whatsoever a Hindu in India who has never heard of the name Jesus. That his devotion to Krishna would not be his salvation as they put it our devotion to to goodness our devotion to love our devotion to the essence of the source of everything that is and what venue that takes culturally is really, really none of our business. It's none of our business to judge somebody else's path. And so this was one of the things that I really liked about David Hopkins was that he he defined God he did these definitions of God that were just so. I actually brought over my book, one of my books, and I don't know if I brought the one that has like the best definition for me that he ever did of God. But he, he talks about the nature of God over and over in his, in his works um, that I have like... <laughs> <laughs> um, they've fallen apart 
Oh, here you go. Here is chapter 10 is the nature of God. So he goes on and on and on and on and on and on about God <laughs> and what God is. And see, I would read this and I'm, I'm telling you, most of us would not. It, it is so over, over. Okay, so I'm going to read some of this. Okay, so God is both manifest as the totality and allness of creation and simultaneously unmanifest as the Godhead, the infinite, infinite potentiality and source or voidness form prior to form. God is infinite beyond time or depictions of space or locality without beginning or end. God is omnipresent, omnipotent, and omnipotent omniscient. God is the source and substrate of consciousness, awareness, knowingness, and sentience. God is the sole source of the energy of life. God is the source of evolution and creation, which are one and the same. God is the source and presence of peace, love, stillness, and beauty. God is beyond all universes and materiality, yet is the source of all that is. God is a sole source of existence and the potentiality of beingness. God is the ultimate context with which the universe and all existence is the content. <laughs> God is the priori formless source of existence within all form. <laughs> God is not within the province of the provable or the intellect. God is the source and essence of the subjective state of I-ness called enlightenment. Then he goes on and on and on and on, 23 different things about God. The purity of the presence of God is traditionally the essence of the ineffable quality of holiness and is the basis of the descriptive term sacred, that which is devoid of content is the equivalent of innocence. This is this is one that I really, really like. He says, The essence of God does not include human frailties, such as partiality, the desire to control, favoritism, duality, judgmentalism, wrath, righteous anger, resentment, limitation, arbitrariness, vanity, revenge, jealousy, retaliation, vulnerability, or locality. So, I studied this guy. <laughs> I studied this guy and I find that I, I basically you know, do not, I don't study any other text to the point that I study his. <laughs> so I think I have nearly every book he ever wrote in my possession, and I wasn't able to actually let any of them go. Um, but the interesting part was, at one point, I, I really did stop studying I stopped studying and I and I had actually forgotten why I stopped studying. Um until a couple like two and a half years ago where I 
pulled this book out and I realized that it says, um, I, I realized why I stopped studying. It says only love has the power to overcome beliefs. At this point, historically, the seeker is counseled to throw away all of the books and just surrender to God without reservation. Stop struggling and allow the realization of that which you already are. Honestly, I still, I mean, the biggest obstacle to enlightenment is the belief that it is hard and it is unattainable. And, and the big, and that is what the obstacle is. And I feel like, and I mean, he talks about this over and over in his books that very, very few people reach quote unquote enlightenment. But at this point, I really believe that it is not necessarily I think it's more about the desire. Most people are not interested in enlightenment. They're not. They're interested in hand sanitizer. I'm kind of being frivolous, but I'm not. They're they're interested in their life. They're interested in um you know, just doing what they do, you know, uh, the latest trends, whatever it is that they either enjoy about life or making money or finding a boyfriend or, you know, I mean, it, it's like they're just in their life and they're, they're, they're not focused on enlightenment. Most people are not focused on enlightenment, which I think is part of the thing about my subject matter that is is quite uninteresting to people is because that's that's like my my life is about the nature of consciousness I didn't know that enlightenment was the nature of consciousness but reaching enlightenment is is the understanding of the nature of consciousness as being God. That there's no separation between God and man. And that it is all just about awareness. It's about awareness. And somehow... You know, I was thinking about this this thing about choices. I was thinking I was thinking yesterday it kind of come to me this idea of of binary. Stay with me, friends. This is weird. Okay, of it being binary and sort of all day long just these yes no, yes no, yes no, yes no, yes no, like one zero one zero one zeros all day long. It's like you get up 
and you come into awareness. And then you are sort of making choices all day long about what you're going to do next. To get, yes, to get out of bed, no, to stay in bed. Yes, to put on my snooze, no, to put on my snooze. Yes, to go, go to the bathroom. No, to don't not go to the bathroom. We, these, these little choices, these little micro choices all day long are on a very subconscious level. I don't think that we're conscious of the fact that we're doing this. But it's like we are making these choices all day long. And, and the, the um, objectivity of all of it. Like in a binary system, it's not that that no is any more like like somehow no is is inferior to yes. Like that one is somehow better than zero. It just is. And so we go through our our entire day with these micro micro decisions and and a good percentage of them really aren't affecting other people you know whether I get up and go to the bathroom or not is really not affecting anyone per se but like yesterday when I was at my son's soccer game there were these people that were really starting to bother me with their language they were really talking very negatively about my team and it was obvious who I was for it was completely obvious that, and it wasn't like we were sitting in our designated section, either one of us. But there, and I, and I, and I, and I got that that normal feeling, my that normal human feeling of defense from my players because I've known these boys for many years. This is my team. These are my people. And you're talking badly about my people, and I, 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 I just got that feeling come over me, and I was like, okay, do I? And I did not want to confront them, so I walked away, so I could not hear them. <laughs> so me recently, my goal has been to make these these micro choices to to walk away because it's not worth my peace. It's not worth my peace to confront that. I'd rather have peace. And so when given when and I have been lately, I've been I've been tested in this area where I've been having these little things come up and I I I really think that for me in my in my the state of my the evolution of my soul that my goal in life is to not be affected by by these little things when they come to me to just walk away because it's not worth it. It is just so not worth my peace. It's like I you can think whatever you want to think. I don't care. <laughs> but okay, so I'm going to go because I'm running out of time, but I will be back 
on the topic of David Hawkins. And I maybe I will do an entire podcast on his teachings and the things that I have learned from him. I appreciate you guys so much listening. And I will be back. And that's a wrap.